Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, Casey. Really good. And, uh, you know, got, uh, as we just talked about, a lot of volatility out there. Yeah. Right yeah. So last week was the, uh, was the week that we gave it all back. And then this week is the week we gained it all back, but it's kind of starting to slip back the other direction. So this uh, coronavirus thing, uh, every news story, every tweet, every internet post, whatever it might be, has uh, is not showing that anything's slowing down anywhere. And the I, I, you know everyone keeps talking about this. So, you know, hey, you know, when summer gets here, it's gonna it's gonna fade away, and this, that, and the other thing, which typically it should. But as you take a look around the world right now, in the areas that you know the coronavirus has taken off and, and run, it, it's it's everything from warm tropical environments all the way through the typical cold cold flu season areas that you would typically expect. So uh, this uh, coronavirus thing is uh, probably a little bigger deal than what most people have anticipated. Well, and, and, and it may still be that the uh, warmer temperatures will uh, reduce its viability, but the, uh, the question is we don't know for sure, right? We just don't right. know for sure. And we're still in the escalation phase. You know, the first couple of months of a pandemic, there's really no way to stop a virus from infection. It just it has it just expands, and we're we're in the vertical up move portion that really isn't going to stop for at least the next thirty days, um, based upon historical precedent. And so, um, what we can discern because all all the Chinese numbers are pretty much fraudulent. No one knows what truth. But if we look at the South Korean numbers. Been very transparent. Um, the numbers are suggesting a modular death rate in the box. Um, so when they, all the research they come with the people that have had it there, but the death rate is about 0.6 percent um, are dying from infection, not 3 percent. And when you look at the distribution of who's actually dying, it's really only those. If you look at it's like. 0.3, 0.3, And then what, when you get to 60 to 69, it goes up to 7% death rate. And then when you reach 70 and over, it goes up to 20% death rate. So what it says is that most of the deaths from this particular strain of the virus is given those at 60 and over, but it's had a very minor impact to those under 60 years old. And so when we look at that, what it really means is that you know, those that are over 60 have a, have a real reason to be concerned. Those that are under 60, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a really, really nasty flu strain um, more than anything else. And, and at least that's the good news. And it, and it impacts children the least. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they're talking about people that were in a car. I can't remember the exact story, but everybody all the adults in the car got sick except for the except for the children yeah. so it's kind of but for whatever reason unreal. the children seem to be least impacted yeah. by this which of course is a good thing of course yeah so, absolutely so so the numbers aren't as bad as, as as they were originally expected to be but nonetheless we're still in the escalation phase 
and everyone's scared to death. And once you get people afraid, you know, the herd mentality takes over, and that's where we're at. Yeah, so. yep. Fear of the unknown, yeah. Um, Fear of the unknown. All right. Once we know, once we know, everyone calms down. But when we don't know, you can imagine anything and everything. Yeah. And that's where we're at. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. It's lots of lots of crazy stuff going on. So we've talked about tonton this week. Been you know we started out good, took off and ran up um, on Monday. Kind of ran up there, and in the last couple of days, well, last I guess yesterday and then today, we saw some uh, some slip backwards a little bit, um, but. It's kind of that way across the whole board, and like you talked about earlier. You know, the 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 new the new norm on the stock exchange is is a thousand point swing either way in any given you know minute of the day. So, lots of volatility going on there, which is a good thing. But sometimes it, it could be too much, too quick. So, take take a look and see what we're talking about here. So we're we're looking at some grain numbers that basically went back to like mid February. Um, we were right around, I think, the uh, March contract in mid-February was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 383, 382, something like that. And uh, on, I think yesterday we got above that, like 385. So we, got, we gained back everything we've got. We've, like I said, we're slipping back a little bit this morning as what we've seen happen in the marketplace. Now we're back down to like 379 for the May and 382 and a half uh, for December. But... Uh, we're in a significantly better spot than we were. Do you, as you look across the corn market right now, with the stuff we see happening in Brazil and some, they're talking about some record crops down there. Even though there is some dryness in Argentina and those kind of, in those areas of key of key growing uh, concern. I guess, what do you say? What do you think about the uh, the corn market and, and kind of w what effect this is having on the overall marketplace? Well, I mean, one thing about grains, you know, you, you can you can store it in a bin and wait it out right. unless you have to sell. Yeah, maybe you can't do that if you're, if you're producing milk. Maybe you can't do that if you have if you have a uh, you know a pig that needs to come to slaughter. I mean, you, you, it's got to go, right? So, um, so at least there's a storability that can offset selling if the price is unattractive. And farmers, you know, certainly have the ability to do that. The other thing is is that um, for things like wheat and rice and all, you know, these are kind of items that people kind of have to have. Um, and, and we do know, we've heard, and we've seen that people have been running down to the Costco and clearing out all the shelves and, and buying every piece of food they can get their hands on in a panic. And so, you know, there is, there is some of the short-term demand coming in for essential food items because people are afraid. And so it's kind of a mixed bag for the grain markets, and I think that's why it's been a mixed bag. As you said, it's, we lost it, then we gained it back, and then we rally, then we, then we give it back. At, whereas something like, you know, crude oil, you know, which is falling precipitously, or something like the hog market or the cattle market, which is falling more precipitously, that we don't have the ability to store and it isn't necessarily the first thing on people's uh, buy list. You know, separating more. So I think you have to, to separate the you know ag in those two different categories, and so forth. and I think the grains are probably in the best shape to weather the storm for now. I think. So. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too, you know, I guess. I'm reading this here. Looks like China has rolled back some of the. Uh, let me get to the right place here. Looks like China has rolled back a few of the uh, tariffs on uh, some exemptions on, on certain things. Soybeans, sorghum, wheat, DDGs. Um, you know, talk about uh, an article here where Tyson is already starting to see a boost from these exemptions with the amount of chicken that they're sending over to uh, to China now. So. Um, we're starting to see some of that phase one stuff. Uh, we're not seeing the buying that we wanted to see, 
but we're starting to see some of that stuff kind of kind of trickle in and take place. So um, I guess talk about those those exemptions and those tariffs and 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 how do you think that's going to start playing out in what we're going to start seeing as far as some of these export reports that we see on Thursdays? Well, remember, uh, the coronavirus started in China. Right. They had it first. It escalated first. Uh, they had the crisis first. Um, and so they're going to be the first ones coming out of it. And of course, everyone else is getting it a month later. Um, so as China starts, remember, it's usually two months, and then it, it really recedes. So when you look at China, you know, they're going to they're kind of be going to come out of this pretty soon, which means they're going to start to buy. They're going to start to buy because they, you know, they, they, they need to buy. And they're going to start to buy. Um, and so that will be a really, really important development to watch those weekly export numbers later in the month when they start getting ready to buy as, as their situation escalates. Even as the U.S., even as Europe maybe escalates further, they're going to be on the other side of it. And if you really think, look at what's going on. The dollar has been crashing, which is a long-term good thing for ag prices. Right now, it's not helping because people are worried about demand, but the dollar's been crashing. It was almost down a full point yesterday, um, and it's down significantly again today. That's going to be a very, very good uh, supporter of, of, of our grain markets and the ag markets once we get a little further along in this process. Um, and, and when you also look at the Chinese stock market, it's actually up over the last 30 days. Um, and their currency is actually up over the last 30 days all suggesting that the market's viewing their situation as getting better and they're using our situation as getting worse. So the capital flows are sort of switching. And that actually is very, very positive because it'll make them buy our stuff and it'll keep our dollar weak, which allows other people to buy our stuff, which we have talked about in this program before. has been a huge impediment. So I'm pretty optimistic that later this month onward, our export's going to pick up a lot and that puts in the low in the grain markets. Not quite there yet. I think that's why they've been sticky. They have not been willing to really crash and burn like some of the other ag markets that are more vulnerable. Yeah. So one of the other uh, markets out there that I've, we've been watching here of late are, are the cattle in the uh, in the pork markets. And if you look at, at what's going on there, man, they've they've been beaten up and then beaten up and then beaten up and then they get beaten up again. So talk about those those markets that you see happening there and and how that's going to mean. Pork is that one that's been just hanging on this this phase one thing, and it's just not happening yet. So, I guess talk about what you see happening in those two markets. Well, pork crashed, it had to rally, and it's been holding steady. Um, and, and remember, you know, one of our big big buyers, which is Mexico, really sh- isn't going to be. You know, they they should continue to be big buyers of our pork, regardless of what's going on. Um, the problem with cattle or with beef is. You know, no one's going to the restaurants. You're hearing about restaurants right. empty. Nobody in them. I know down here in South Florida, this is our, our in-season. Every place is supposed to be two hours waiting time, and there's nobody in the restaurants. You know, the steakhouses, there's nobody there. And that really, really takes a dent on beef demand on a short-term basis. And so, you know, that's a domestic demand problem. Forget about selling uh, beef to the Chinese or selling beef to the Japanese who aren't buying. So, so cattle's got, you know, multiple things going on with it. Um, plus, it's an expensive food item, and when people are worried, you know, they're going to pull back on what's cost them the most. And so, you know, beef just has other issues it has to get through, and, and it is, is one of the more impacted markets right now. I think it will be fine, but, you know, I don't think we're quite enough long yet to say that 
uh, you know, we've made the low in cattle or that we've turned the corner like we have in pork. I think the, I think the hog price has definitely bottomed and turned around. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure cattle has quite done that yet. Yeah. So the other one that I'm, I've been watching here of late, and it's how has to do with what's happening in France, is is the soft, uh, soft wheat marketplace, and you know France has got you know such a struggle with uh, rains and and just horrible planting conditions and everything else that's going on. Um, they're about twenty percent behind where they should have be where they should be as far as condition ratings go. Uh, right now, I think they're showing something like this article I'm reading here shows about sixty four percent of it should be good to excellent. This time last year, it's eighty six percent. So, yep. that's what that's we're seeing some moves in the wheat market. Some it's not it's kind of subtle. There's not big explosions by any means. There's still a ton of wheat out there in the marketplace and all those kind of things. But the what's happening in France and then kind of what we saw happening in fall here maybe not getting the the right conditions that we saw and then what we've seen so far over the uh over this winter i mean the wheat market could have an opportunity to to see some some higher prices here soon well what happens when everyone when we're in a panic like this people ignore that kind of news casey for now they just they you know they they hear it they they see it but they just can't get themselves to buy because they're afraid of everything that's going on around it so it's we call it coiling you coil you know, weather in in, in, in in France and, and then, you know, weather here and weather there and weather there and, and it keeps coiling and keeps building pressure into the market. So once the panic kind of subsides, it's like a jack-in-the-box. It just spring loads out of it because it should have been going up all along, but people weren't comfortable buying. And so we do think that the wheat market is this coiled spring um, that once we get into the mid-spring and this virus thing does calm down and we do get some additional weather problems that we expect to have here in the U.S. with some hot, dry weather in the wrong places for winter wheat and maybe even spring wheat. And that's a market that could really, really take off. Um, and so the opportunity would be so long as the market stays under pressure, is not allowed to react, um, you know, it's a buying opportunity um, as we get further along this process. So the wheat market, I think, probably has the best uh, fundamental outlook based upon weather and supply issues coming up once the this panic virus scenario you know eases back and it, and it always does and it always will and it, it, it can't go on like this forever at some point you reach a, you reach a fever pitch and then it just goes away just it will happen so that's an interesting market to watch especially spring wheat and casey hard red winter wheat we think those two markets are extremely vulnerable to what might happen here over the springtime so yep there's a I think there's just some opportunity there that, that people are ignoring, like you just said. I think there's some some pretty good chance of stuff going on. Well, man, there is a ton of news out there. You just put out a new uh, a new article uh, about the dairy market. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I've been traveling. Um, so talk about the dairy market a little bit, what you see happening there. Well, you know, we kind of turned uh, bearish the dairy market late last year and into January. Um, um, and, you know, look, the U.S. and the EU uh, – Production is what dominates this time of the year. Both productions are up uh, from last year pretty nicely because we had such high prices at the back half of the year. So we have surplus milk. And, and of course, with what's going on with the global economy, with the, with the coronavirus, uh, demand is, you know, being hit. And, of course, you know, you could store milk powder, um, you know, but you just ruin milk and cheese, you know, the... It's not like you just could stick it in a bin and just wait it out. I mean, at some point that's got to move, and 
And so the, the milk market's suffering from a double whammy of better supply in this demand side shock that's, that's going on. And so the market's got hit pretty hard. Um, we don't think there's a whole lot more to go on it, but we think we could still see some weakness into the springtime before we, you know, before we factor it all in and, and get ourselves on the other side of this. So we think most of the decline is behind us, but maybe, maybe another dollar down before it's all said and done. Yeah, that's crazy. That market has been all over the place here in the last this last twelve months. It's been that's well, it started at like yeah. it started at like thirteen and a half. Yep. We went to like twenty. Yep. You know, now we're at like you know fourteen and a half, fifteen. <laughs> yeah, it's just been crazy the the swings in that market, and it's all been outside. I mean, not like it wouldn't be anyway, but I mean the outside pressures that we've seen have been extremes. Whether it's been the weather or this virus thing yeah. we see happening here or or whatever it is, it's just. It's just been completely affected 100% by these outside pressures and not necessarily market stimulations. It's just crazy Correct. how it works. It's it is crazy. Absolutely. The one thing we need to pay very close attention to um, with all of this, because you know, it looks like the Dow Jones is going to be down another 1,000, the way it looks to me, looking at the future, it's going to be down another 1,000 bucks. Um, you know, the Federal Reserve lowered, did a panic lowering of a half a percent. Uh, unfortunately, Casey, lower interest rates ain't going to cut it in something like this. They need to print money if they want to stem the tide of a panic. So we need, we need to kind of figure out how bad does this need to get? 20% down on the Dow? 25% down on the Dow? You know, what's the number that they're going to say we're doing QE to whatever it takes, I call it. QE to whatever it takes. Once they decide to do QE or quantitative easing to whatever it takes, that will stop uh, the panic and start to write things. And then that's when the weaker dollar, the weather problems, and some of the fear over the coronavirus will start to subside. Um, and so we're, right now the market is sort of going all in and trying to see how far they can take this before the Fed has to act. To me, that's really going to be the catalyst here. Because once you get the herd moving in the same direction like they are now and everybody wants to sell, you know, only money printing is going to stop it right now. Yeah. So, which isn't a really good option either when you start looking at it's not a great option, you know. but that's what they've always done. Yeah. Um, so unless they've decided to do something different, we have to anticipate they will do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's take a look at some outside markets real quick. Let's take a look at the the oil market. It's been affected by this as well, this whole coronavirus thing and what we see happening there. So what what is going on in the oil market and, and what do we see happening there? Well, I mean, oil market is extremely vulnerable to uh, fears over worse, you know, worsening economic activity. Uh, but, you know, that's why every, you know, whenever we worry about it, the oil market's a crash market, just crash. This comes right down. You know, yeah, you could store some barrels on a boat, you know, but it's got to move. You know, it's got to move. You know? uh, so, you know, and so it's always, always greatly impacted by economic fears. And, of course, China really, you know, we don't, we don't buy crude oil much anymore because we produce so much of it. So it's really a China, you know, not buying crude oil right now issue. And so I think I, think I just saw OPEC is cutting production, trying to stave it off a little bit. But I would have to say low 40s, I'm not sure I'd be that bearish crude oil in the low 40s. I mean, it can always overshoot. But I, I think low 40s, you're shutting down, <laughs> you're shutting down the system, you know, I mean, that, that no one's making any money in the low 40s. So I, yeah. I think that's probably going to be a place the market digs its heels in like natural gas uh you know in, in at 170 i mean i just i just think that's a place where we recommended to our ag 
uh, customers that they lock in some long-term natural gas needs, you know, that they, you know, a lot of our customers use propane and the derivative of natural gas and that sort of thing. So, so this would be a place to start thinking about you know, locking in your energy needs um, when, at the heat of a panic because, you know, th those markets are going to come back on any hint that things are, 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 getting, are getting better. And, so, you know, low 40s on crude oil, 175 on natural gas. Wow. You know, I mean, I just think that's a place that under, under many circumstances, I'm not sure you're going to get a much better deal than that to, to get that part of your cost structure locked in. Yep. You know? Absolutely. Good stuff. All right, Sean, uh, good stuff as usual. If folks want to check out what you got to offer and, and how you can uh, kind of point them in the right direction, what's the best place for them to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Tons of stuff on there for people to download and watch and listen to and see if what we do might be of service to your listeners. Right on. So. And if people wanted to get the copy of your, of your latest report, what's the, what's the easiest way to do that? Well, they, we have a free download, uh, you know, free sample report that they can uh, you know, go to on the website, or they can email us directly at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at HackettAdvisors.com um, and request it, and we'll be glad to get out uh, some recent reports to them so they can get a, a closer look at what we're doing. Yeah. So. Those reports are awesome, guys. If you haven't if you haven't had a chance to see what that is, go download that sample report and take a look at it. There's some really, really, really good information in there, and Sean is uh, – very dialed into what's going on. So, well, Sean, uh, anything else you want to throw out there before we shut this thing down? I think we kind of covered it today, Casey. I think, you know, we did. I think we covered it. Uh, the only thing I would probably say is, you know, once you get into a panic, the good news is it usually is fast and furious and it ends fast. Yep. Meaning, you know, panics don't last long, they burn themselves out quickly. So, the bad news is it can get very ugly. The good news is it should be over fairly quickly. We can get on to, to bigger and better things. So, to me, I'm looking forward to that. Yep. So, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm Casey Seymour here, the host of Moving Iron Podcast. Check out my YouTube pages as well as uh, my social media stuff at Moving Iron LLC. Um, go to the website, movingironllc.com, for the latest news and information about all things Moving Iron. And uh, check out the Global Ag Network and all the great podcasters on there as well. So, until next time, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move smart, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard working 